0: From the studios of Teeing It Up, Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up Presents. Danny Flecke here with us on a Saturday morning in December, December 12, 2020. Good afternoon, sir. How you doing, my man? I am well. Good to talk to you on this Saturday. Let's talk some soccer. Um, We had an absolutely awful incident happen Um, earlier this week, I think it was this week, that involved accusations of racial slurs being used by a fourth um, official towards a player. I think this was last week, actually. Um, uh, 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 Towards a coach, and then some players got into it. What the heck? Why is racism, systemic racism, so big in soccer? I do not understand, but every time I look, it seems like you know, something else is happening in European soccer that is just completely awful and uncalled for.
1: Yeah, and I wish I knew the answer to that, and I think a lot of it is very similar to what we suffer from here, and I think we brought it up on this podcast before, you know, it's an issue everywhere, not just here in America, and it's not to downplay any sort of um, you know, severity of of what's happening, but this is just an issue that happens all over the world. Um, And soccer is not immune to it, and it's always been an issue with it, especially recently, everything seems to be a little bit more, um, you know, heightened. You know, there are a lot of old-time soccer groups or radical groups that are still very much in line Politically and socially with a lot of the old regimes that were in Europe, you know, back in the the 30s and 40s, and it's a shame. And it happens a lot, and it's not always in the mainstream here because, again, of, of where it's happening perhaps in the sport, it's not one of the, you know a big draw here, but um, it's an issue, right, and I think for soccer, you know, one of the great qualities of soccer is how diverse it is, and again, we've talked about that, that you have players from all over the world that go and play in these leagues, and it's amazing how they can adapt it and, and do, do so, and I think that's what you see happen, though, when you have the diversity that soccer has, that you have, people that perhaps are involved in the sport that don't appreciate that diversity. You know, it happened in the French League, um, so maybe that official was French. I don't know what the background of the official was, but um, maybe he had a a different view of how he wanted the game to be played or how the the players were were, uh, lined up. You know, whatever it was, it's just unfortunate that someone has to take their personal views and attack other people, put them down, give other people you know, make other people feel uncomfortable eventually, you know, here in the situation. um, The only way the players can um, stand up for themselves and prove a point is to protest, which they did. And, you know, I'm glad they stopped the game. No player should be able uh, to be out on the field if they don't feel comfortable because, you know, that fourth official could Dictate the game based off of his own own views and put players in danger, and we don't want to see any of that. And hopefully, that reverts the race,
0: uh, soccer field again. On a more positive note, um, there has been a lot of exciting soccer this fall that I think has gotten overshadowed this summer, uh, uh, this uh, season in the U.S. Just because of the sheer amount of things going on. Uh, let's start with the Champions League since we're talking about it up uh, on on a positive place What have we seen? What are the headlines that people should take away from what's happened so far in the uh, Champions League?
1: Yeah, I think The Champions League pretty much has followed status quo. We saw you know, Real Madrid Struggled a little bit in the group stages, but they were able to win the other day to push them through uh, Man United down once again, and, and you know, they'll be in turmoil, I think, the rest of the season, both um, domestically in any tough competition that they find themselves in. Um, you know, we saw Lionel Messi and Ronaldo play against each other one one more time. Who knows if it might be the last time? We, we, we don't know, depending on what happens there. Um, but I think overall, the status quo has been achieved. And I think another thing to take away from an American soccer fan is the emergence of the American youngsters in Champions League games and with Champions League, Champions League clubs. You have, you know, Weston McKinney on Juventus, Christian Pulisic on Chelsea, Sergio Jets on Barcelona. They're playing on the biggest stages of, of global soccer. and It's really cool to see that.
0: And that leads me to the next thing, which is the historic day. I think it was three different U.S. men's national team's players scored in the EPL, which is the first time that it happened in an, in a long time on a single day. Is this... Um, look, missing the World Cup four years ago, or, or uh, two years ago, it'll be four years ago by the time 2022 comes around, is just... It, it, it's, it's just unacceptable. Um, is this the start though, of a new core that'll make sure that the American team can get through the group stage every single time and make sure that they qualify? Or is this still a work in progress, and is it more towards 2022 and then especially the 2026 North American bid, which will have the U.S. automatically in, where the U.S. could be more like the, the Landon Donovan teams of old that at least U.S. fans could See and envision them being a part of of those group stages and then into the knockout rounds, um, uh, time in and time out.
1: Yeah, I think the focus for this team has to be on 2022. You just don't know what six years down the road is going to bring as far as injuries, progression, development, etc. I think the goal for the 2022 World Cup needs to remain, you know, as high as possible for this team. And there's a lot of encouraging signs, you know. The, the development of these players domestically has improved. Um, the development of these players internationally has also improved. You know, these kids are going to clubs in Europe at a younger and younger age. They're having the opportunity to get playing time. You know, you look across Europe and, and big clubs in Germany and England and Italy and Spain all have, um, you know, young American players that are projected to... Uh, you know, help out that team you know in the near future, and that's really exciting. Um, but if you're the United States, you know, my, my issue with them is always going to be, I think, an issue. You know, how this progression in Europe translates to progression back here when they come home and they play with a coach that hasn't coached in Europe before, or with play you know outside maybe of a you know five, six, or seven that haven't. And I think that's where you see the issues arise. You know, is the coach tactically sound enough to get the best out of his players? You know, he has to, to develop coaching staff in the same part that they're getting at Barcelona or Juventus or Chelsea. So I think that's where American soccer needs to grow it's to develop those types of coaching academies that you see abroad that allows for players to be on, you know, sort of a same you know, foundational piece that you see across Europe, Uh, but there's no doubt that the players the most skillful players that the United States has ever had from a soccer perspective. How they all piece together, we're going to see, but I I, I like the progression and if anything, you know, these players being so young allows them the opportunity to develop that chemistry as they move forward, both, you know, Uh, on their club levels and both internationally when they come back and play with them. So it's going to be exciting to see what they do when they have that opportunity and they, they put out a full squad of of the players that we're seeing right now play for
0: for the big clubs in Europe. And then real fast, when you look at MLS, has that league come uh, far enough in recent years? I, I know that, 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 that some who either work in MLS or father or, or follow MLS um, closely, have have seen what they believe is development for the bigger stage because you can be a great mls player and some of these games which are wild and wacky and go back and forth back and forth they can be exciting and fun to watch but it may not be soccer that translates on to either a world stage or or a, or a national team stage do you think mls has come far enough to where these players can be productive down uh, down the line
1: yeah, it's showing signs, right? They've had some players that were developed by MLS Academy that have gone on to, you know, some European clubs. There's two players in particular, you know, Alfonso Davies, who's a soccer player. He played, I think, for Vancouver um, and was transferred to uh, Bayern Munich as one of the, you know, up-and-coming stars in soccer. Um, and then there was Miguel Almiron, who was... Um, in Atlanta, and he went to Newcastle in the EPL. There are signs that there are players and there are teams that are taking, you know, the scouting of the MLS a little bit more seriously than in in years past. Um, Players from play two, even though that might be, like, the last stop of their career, it's still something that's a, a draw and has, you know, brought players, you know, safe side to play. I think the thing with the MLS is that it's still not considered so a top tier league and there's so much other factors that go into that and a lot of that is you know, support here in the United States for soccer in general. Another thing is, you know, just history and tradition, you know, they just don't have that here. And it takes time to get that, but you know, if the MLS is still able to to put out a product that you know that other teams are watching, you know, abroad and scouting and developing, it just sort of Enhance your own development as well so there could be a time you know 10 15 20 years down the line where these american players don't need to go abroad but you know they're still far away far ways from that happening
0: we're talking to danny flecker here on teeing it up uh in his weekly spot we're gonna move on uh to the national football league um how surprised is boston right now at being absolutely dominated by the Rams on Thursday night football and losing 24 to three. This is not a position the Patriots have been in for a long time. And their 10 win season streak um, has come to an end. But I think to see a Bill Belichick team dominated that badly on a national stage is just truly shocking. Even if this is an off year for them, um, it, it, it just it, it, it's just stunning to see them lose 24 to 3 like that.
1: Yeah, and I don't think it was um, a surprise up here. You know, for the whole season, you know, the, the sentiment around the team is that they just don't have enough talent and that their quarterback play hasn't been strong enough for them to get anywhere. And it's been true. You look at, you know, Cam Newton the last six, seven weeks his, you know, his troubles with throwing the ball, you know, his inability to, to stay drive, his turnover problems, um, you know, I don't think that anybody up here was surprised, you know, they they just haven't been good enough, and, and I think there's a lot of reasons for that, you have know, had some bad drafts, um, obviously the, the way they've handled the Tom Brady transition could have been done better, but they just don't have the talent, you know, they have a ton of opt-outs, they have no wide receivers, you know their quarterback play has been horrendous, and they're young. You know on, on the defense, so I, I think this type of season, at the end of the day, when we look back now, 14 weeks, you know since the start of the season, was expected. But you know, you like you said, you always expect a little bit more fight and preparation out of that team, and I just think a lot of it has to do with the talent that's on the roster right now and the leadership they lost to opt out.
0: Danny Fletcher with us here on on teeing it up. All right, let's look towards uh, this weekend. Um, I assume you do not want to talk about Jet Seahawks?
1: I don't know what you want to talk about.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was slightly embarrassing. Um, no, let's instead uh, look at I what, what I believe is an intriguing game, which is the Monday night game. Uh, you get Cleveland, who continues to win football games, on a high against Baltimore. It's going to have all their pieces back, finally, for the first time. Um Uh, since their COVID outbreak. And this is what I think is interesting in the AFC right now. You have um, a gap between Pittsburgh and Kansas City and then everybody else. Um, And who's going to break out of that? And could it be the Cleveland Browns of all people? Meanwhile, for Baltimore, they're on the outside looking in. This is a ginormous game. For the baltimore ravens and and you would hope that everybody has all their talent back they were able to get the winning in dallas but dallas is in a completely other situation they're just downright atrocious um so these are still big games these are divisional games and this is a big moment for the browns what do you think about this monday night game
1: yeah i think you hit the nail on the head right it's a big game for the browns a game that they haven't played in years um as a franchise you know granted if- you know, new, new players, new coaching staff, you know, I get all of that. It, it comes down to, I think, you know, execution. Again, we saw Cleveland execute brilliantly on Sunday, a game I did not expect from them at all. Um, and Baltimore, who has won games here and there, you know, but hasn't looked as impressive as they did last year. So, you know, it really comes down to, I think, the defenses. Can Baltimore... Um, you know, stop the run game for Cleveland and can Cleveland you know, contain Lamar Jackson and I think that's where the game's going to be won and we've seen Cleveland have one of the best running tag- attacks of the year um, and we've seen Lamar Jackson at times be absolutely brilliant but my concern with Baltimore lies in with Jackson's efficiency as a passer you know, he's still not there to where I think he can you know, have a part of his game being taken away which in this case would be like his rush game and be able to pick you apart uh, you know, from from the pocket. And the same could be said from Baker Mayfield as well. So I think it's going to come down to which quarterback can execute better in the pass game, which quarterback can develop those big plays for their team without having to rely only on the run game. And again, from there, it turns over to the defense, You know, which defenses are able to adjust and, and able to stop them. So it's going to be an interesting game. I know this line has moved back and forth the entire week. It just shows you that people are still backing the potential of the Ravens and taking what the Browns have done as sort of, you know, uh, smoke and mirrors. But I think this game is honestly a toss-up because I need to see Lamar Jackson go out there and, and, you know, pass the ball at a 65% clip and, you know, make those throws that, that we all think he can make. So until I see that, it's really hard for me to see them progressing, you know, into the playoffs, but, you know, Baltimore has the experience, they have the coaching staff, they have the familiarity with Cleveland. So it's going to be an interesting game, a tough game, um, but I think it's
0: a toss-up. The other game that I find interesting is Minnesota-Tampa, and we've talked at length about the hot and cold nature of this Uh, Bucks team and this offense with with Tom Brady the Vikings are fighting and this has suddenly become a key game and Kirk Cousins is on a rise after having a classic Kirk Cousins up-and-down run and What is so intriguing about this game to me is it is so rare On a doubleheader weekend for a network to send their a team to a 1 p.m. Game and that's what they're doing Joe and Troy are doing Tampa Minnesota not one of the 425 games uh, as as we sit here right now looking at this game on paper this is a classic Minnesota on the road letdown game but can does Tampa have enough pieces to stop a, a Viking team that is on the rise Danny yeah it's,
1: it's an interesting game because you know Minnesota had so long been a You know, the mentality around them has been, you know, they just want to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. But then all of a sudden this year you draft one of the best, you know, wide receivers that have come out of college in a long time. You still have Adam Thielen, and then obviously you utilize Dalvin Cook in the passing game. And all of a sudden they become a little bit more dynamic and explosive. The question for me is, you know, what has Tampa done over these last two weeks to adjust what they've done offensively? You know, defensively. They're pretty strong, even though I think they're kinda overrated. They have the number one rush defense, um, but their secondary to me can be had. And I think, you know, that's what Minnesota needs to try to take advantage of. On the flip side, you know, is Bruce Arians going to mold for Tom Brady rather than vice versa? And I think that's the key of the buck season is being able to say, hey, we have Tom Brady and we have all these weapons. There's a way for us to utilize Brady's strength and the strength of the skill players we have to be more efficient on offense. I don't think throwing the ball 25 yards downfield every other play is that, is that strategy. So as Bruce Arians figured out a way to get the most out of what he has out there? And we, we haven't seen that yet. So I think until we see that, you know, Tampa Bay's going to be a team with all its potential but no results. Um, but this game... It's interesting in the fact that Minnesota, they've used to like they've been in the past with a strong defense. Um, so I think you know Tampa Bay obviously has some opportunity here, but I think it's going to be a hard-fought game. The line is I think six and a half, seven. I do like the Vikings to cover that, but I think ultimately Tampa Bay just has too much from a from a passing game perspective to take advantage of some of the weaknesses in Minnesota's secondary.
0: We are. Um We are talking to Danny Flecker here on Teeing It Up. All right, so um, as we look now at the slate of games, the only other game I'm going to ask you about specifically is Arizona-Dallas. Just uh, sorry, Arizona-New York. Just because the Giants suddenly they get the upset win against Seattle, they are they have momentum. Um, and they might get Daniel Jones back, depending on what they decide. How do you view this game right now, Uh, which will be tomorrow on the Fox Television Network?
1: Yeah, this is another game that's a toss-up for me, because if they go with Colt McCoy, for whatever reason, right, it it limits them offensively, and there's no doubt about that. We saw that last week. We knew that going into last week, Um, and it's one of those things where... How long or how consistent can this defense keep playing the way they're playing? And you would think that Kyler Murray is kind of that quarterback that could crack the code a bit because of his ability to run and scramble and keep plays alive, um, and DeAndre Hopkins on the outside. But we've seen Murray kind of taper down a bit with his running, whether that's his shoulder, whatever it may be. Um, his, his effectiveness hasn't been in the last couple of weeks. But what if this is the week that he's healthy. You know, what if this is a week he's able to to do all the things he was doing earlier in the year. Um, From a Giants fan perspective, this game scares me just because of that that question mark right there. The defenses have been great. They've been solid. But, you know, how long and how consistent can they be? You know, we've kind of seen it all year. They've been kind of that bend-don't-break mentality, um, and it's worked for them. But if Kyler Murray's putting up 24, 25 points against you, you have to be able to score 26, 27. They can't do that with Colt McCoy, in my opinion. So, the, the game tomorrow, I think, comes down to, again, how, how effective are they defensively? Can they force a couple of turnovers? If we did last week, keep, you know, get a couple of short fields and, you know, maintain their rushing attack they've had. If they aren't able to do that, it's going to be tough for them to win. But, like you said, they had the momentum. I think they're starting to believe in themselves. And, you know, with that, anything is possible.
0: And that is that. So, Anything else uh, uh, betting wise that you would like to point out here before we shut this podcast down on a Saturday? Um, not really. I think you know there are a lot of interesting games this week.
1: A lot of important games for playoff positioning. So you know the games are, are going to be tight. I think it's going to be coin flips across the board. To be honest with you, so we'll see what happens. You know, a couple games. I think I, I might take some. Of action
0: in our Indianapolis versus Oakland. I like Indianapolis and I do like Pittsburgh
1: against Buffalo on Sunday night.
0: That would be Las Vegas. Las Vegas, yeah. Raiders, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Just, to, uh, yeah, look. Some people know him as the as the Los Angeles Raiders. That's why Tiger Woods is a diehard fan of them. You know, some know him as Oakland and now some know them as los angeles and speaking to that toss-up thing i mean, it starts, uh, speaking the games that have huge implications kansas city miami it's one of those two that i'll be watching tomorrow just to kind of see how good miami is or does tennessee or or does kansas city just go in there and it would uh, uh demolish them danny thank you as always for coming on teeing it up with jeremy Schilling
1: awesome man no worries have a
0: great weekend you got it and have a great weekend everybody enjoy